I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. All right. You know her. You love her. She's back with me today. Our cosmic council. I love that. I love that you came up with that term, actually. I love the idea of cosmic council. But Vanessa Hardy is back with me today. Hello. 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 How have you been? How's your Venus retrograde going? I mean, I talk to you like literally every day, but I'm going to act like it's been (laughs) been since the last record. Yeah. Well, you know, and we also we haven't specifically covered my Venus retrograde, I think, in our conversations. So true. I, I feel like, you know, like I don't, I like don't ask because I know you always be Venus in, you know, like I know you're like trying to do your thing. I know you do your Venus Fridays, which has been amazing that people have tagged us and stuff on social, which it makes us really happy. Like truly in like in a nerdy way, y'all, it's not like we feel like, Oh, we're so cool or anything. We're like, Oh no, Venus. Yay. You know? So, (laughs) so true. I feel like it's funny. I said to you like, oh, I should listen to the last episode before we record this one. And I listened to us at like one and a half speed. So we were like, you know, like it was so funny how like speedy, like because you and I are both like sort of fast talkers anyway. Yeah. So hearing us sped up was hilarious, like as if we were like the chipmunks who had taken some speed or something. But it was I feel I always feel really lucky to know astrologers because whether or not y'all mean to, I feel like you tell us how to live before things happen. And so I feel like for myself, like I have, uh, well, I also did your Venus report, which was, was very helpful for me, but my Venus retrograde hasn't been all that exciting, but I, I feel like I have been, have been doing my Venus. I have been, so much of it for me has literally been healing and that's literally what I've been trying to do. So the last episode was very helpful for me specifically. (laughs) And you sort of like, you know, even us like getting prepped for it and you like being like, you know, these are the themes and stuff. Like I was already kind of thinking about it. And so it was like funny getting ready for us to record and sort of talk about how things are. I'm like, I think I feel like a second grader where I'm like, I've I've been Venusing so good. I've been like totally doing my (laughs) Venus. Like I want, I guess instead of a gold star, I want a shell, you know, like I, I want my, my Venus shell, but we, I think one of our, one of the questions we got when we asked people that I thought would be helpful because I'm not going to ask you too many questions about your Venus retrograde specifically, because I know that you're a little more private than I am. I'm like, oh, I'll tell anybody and everybody my business. I'm like, Vanessa won't, because Vanessa understands things like restraint. I don't. But somebody, I'm not going to say the people's names just because I didn't ask them for their consent. I asked them for their questions. So I apologize if you like were for some reason excited, I might say your name or username. I'm not going to just to protect your privacy. So one of the questions we got was, how does the retrograde affect us? I don't really understand what they do. And I just want to say, thank you for your honesty. I think most of us don't understand what a retrograde does or how it affects us. So that seems like a good place for us to start. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in a weird way, I almost think you never totally know because it's a very like vibey felt (laughs) and conditional astrological experience and they are important to chart out and they can shift and change our evolution. But then on the other side, it's very hard to pin them down because 
as any of us can kind of know, like for instance, you know, Mercury retrograde is normally not a huge issue for me, primarily because I have Mercury retrograde in my chart. So I often look forward to it, but depending on what sign it's in, it feels differently for me. So oftentimes I'm like, "Eh, I don't really feel it or whatever it is. Or for me, it's more positive. It usually, and I'm going to talk about that more throughout because we have a, we have someone with a Venus retrograde who submitted their chart, but yeah, overall the uh, Mercury retrograde, the one that was in Taurus was very uncomfortable. I know for me and i and a lot of people felt that's a, that's a particular retrograde. Also when Mercury is in Taurus, that's a it's an uncomfortable one. But what I mean to say is that throughout your life, throughout your experience tapping into certain retrogrades, you kind of never know how exactly they're going to feel. You know, it's because, and I will now I'll kind of explain, but the reason for that is because basically what is happening first on this like planetary level, which can create, you know, for a vision or a metaphor of what's going on, right? So we have the sun. And then we have all these planets that are orbiting around the sun. So that's like on one axis of action. But then those planets, what's happening when they go into the different signs is that on top of that solar system is a blanket of cosmos. And that's where... cosmos? (laughs) I'm literally fighting every urge to close my eyes to imagine this while Vanessa's talking. (laughs) I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go, okay. I'm envisioning our solar system. Now we have a blanket of cosmos, which I love. Okay. And along the blanket are all of the constellations of the signs. And Mm. as the planets are moving through that blanket, Mm. that's how we're having all of our solar seasons and all of our planetary transits. So what's happening in a retrograde is the planet that is retrograde has slowed down its normal journey through that blanket of cosmos (laughs) so that by the naked eye for an astronomer, say, or anyone who has access to what (laughs) you can, you know, a satellite or whatever, however they're looking at these things, telescope, (laughs) it appears to be moving backwards. Now, on an astrological level, What this means is that the function of that planet and the rhythm that it's used to has kind of been disrupted or it changes. And so it's not functioning in the same way. So Mercury being the planet of the mind, communication, listening, also things such as, you know, Mercury rules is ruled by both Virgo and Gemini. Gemini rules the third house. The third house has to do with your neighborhood or like running errands. It's kind of like your daily to-do list. So if you think about Mercury, think about it as your daily to-do list. So today you have your to-do list. That's your Mercury tasks for the day. You're going to go to the post office, Whole Foods, and the tailor. (laughs) Now imagine that something happens to you where you're not cruising at your normal rate. More often than not, and this is when we layer in like cultural interpretation and things like that, right? If your mercury is getting messed up, it's going to cause you what feels like frustrations and issues. Now, depending on whatever sign that's in, then we're taking on the qualities of the sign. So that, and then also that is determining the location in your chart. So there's all these different variables going on where a retrograde might not mess with you or it might. The other thing that you know, with a Mercury retrograde. So we say we have that that list of tasks. We'll say you're moving really slow and at the post office in walks someone you're delighted to see. That tends to be like the lesser expression or at least like the lesser reported on. I mean, I, yeah. I think I said this in the last pod too, but like I've really got a spot for like 
drama and complications. So I like <laughs> love hearing from the ghosts and the people. <laughs> Just even also then as an astrologer too, like I run the chart and I'm like, boop, Mercury was conjunct my North Node and that person I worked with when Jupiter was there hit me up. That's <laughs> so, because you know, Anne Ortley says like, you know, when the past comes calling, take the call. You know, yeah, she's like, they exactly. have a message for you. Yeah. And I, it's interesting because like you're a boundary queen that I think you also probably trust yourself. So you're like, I can engage, you know, like I can, you know, I can take the call and see what the message is for me because I'm not, I'm not too worried about it, you know, which I think is like also a good lesson for us sometimes. Yeah. And I, you know, you might be someone who like me really has like mythologized your healing maybe, or like mythologizes Mm. your experience where I'm like, this person represented this and listen, and I've had to work very hard to also establish the boundaries I have and to establish enough self-love and and groundedness in myself to be like, okay, this person's not good to engage with, so I'm not going to. But sometimes, I mean, I just had, there was during the Mars retrograde last fall, which was mostly very uncomfortable and for like the listeners and to just to further illustrate what I was saying, like Mars going retrograde, right? Mars is a planet that wants to move forward, get things done. It's considered a malefic, but even in its best expression, it's like really urgently kind of wanting to cruise. So Mars going retrograde is literally like you're driving your car and you have to emergency brake or like something Mm -hmm. kind of more that vibe. It's, it's, ultimately not going to be super comfortable. But Mars was retrograding through this area of my chart where Jupiter had been transiting when I was in my 20s. And I just worked at this restaurant where it was just like we were family. And I was like, I definitely need to move on from this family to like be well and to grow. But I have such a fondness for that time. And there was this one day where Mars was exactly on my North node and I was walking and I swear to you in an hour, cause we all kind of live in the same neighborhood. It was, you know, the restaurant was also in the neighborhood. We're all kind of stationed. And I bumped into three different people from that staff on my walk to go <laughs> do laundry. And I was like, boop, boop, boop. And I was like, Mars is saying what up to that little area. So, you know, all of this to say, it's just, it's interesting to kind of like play that game yeah. during a retrograde and, and I love and Anne's whole thing with like taking the call. I think that I probably just got lucky finding her as one of my first teachers because that was that just that became not so much about the drama. She made it a teaching. So then I yeah. was like, ah, oh, I can detach and observe what this could mean and and take that message. Yeah. And I think like when I first started learning about stuff, I definitely do like was toxic at times where I was like you know, like, oh, no, I hope this ex doesn't come back around. Like, please, 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 totally. you know, like, yeah. <laughs> instead of hoping I could, like, bend the will of retrogrades. And guess what? They never did. Like, if I was like, please, 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 never. It was always a different, different visitation. Something I hear a lot is people, I mean, I think it's just our, you know, culture of everybody wanting to, like, you know, hack everything and improve all the time and stuff like that. But, like, there's no, there's no wrong way to retrograde. I mean, like there's not, it's not like, I think sometimes people can act a bit about the retrogrades, like, like it's a pass fail. I mean, sometimes like I have Mer- Mercury retrograde natally in my chart and, you know, sometimes I really have the time, space and mental bandwidth to like really mine that or like go back to old projects or sort of, you know, like to kind of do my Mercury things. And other times I don't. And I just feel like 
that's fine. You know, like I, I feel like sometimes people get really anxious or like, oh, it's coming and I need to do it. It's like, I think it's good to be aware of these things, but it's, it's not like sky daddy's going to come down and say, did you do your retrograde homework? You know, like I don't, I think people get really caught up in it being like right or wrong. And I think unfortunately slash fortunately, it's way more nuanced than that. It's way more gray than that. It's similar to me in tarot as like reversals. Like a reversal doesn't mean you don't get the energy of the card or you don't get this or whatever. It just means that the energy isn't as like free flowing. Like it's just not, you know, or you're maybe finishing up some, some biz from before. It's sort of similar to a retrograde, but like it's not, I think I hear a lot of fear sometimes with people of like, if they don't do like the retrograde homework, like something bad's going to happen. And it's like, like not necessarily, like maybe for me, it's always been, especially with Mercury, less so with Venus, like it's been, I, I would say more like what I wouldn't have given to myself is either revisiting old things that maybe like did still serve me and I could pick back up again or like in terms of Venus, like really strengthening like self-love, like definitely things I benefited from, but it's not like I was going to die if I hadn't, you know, revisited those things. Yeah. And you almost do yourself a disservice. I think especially if you're not either working very specifically with your chart or if it's not really hitting your chart in a particular way, you do a little bit of a disservice to like overwork. First of all, overworking mm. something going backwards, like you see how that kind of doesn't make sense, like to try and move something forward that's kind of yes. happening upon stew or like slowing yeah. down. <laughs> so that that was actually why I kind of brought up the whole blanket of cosmos metaphor, because there's this like gentleness and flow to what's going on in the stars. That is what drives the interpretation of astrology. And mm. so by thinking of it as energy and by feeling it, there is this book called Astrology, Psychology, and the Four Elements by Stephen Arroyo, which is a mm. wonderful book. It's dense, but I do recommend it, especially for people either studying or maybe psychologists who are, who are studying too. But just in general, one of the things he talks about are these different types of astrology interpretations. And there's this one called causal astrology that there's a lot of research and study by scientists looking at the energy of the stars, because we know that, you know, when we talk about like, you hear people all the time say, well, like the moon causes the tides, so there must be something to it. Or the whole, you know, whenever people mm -hmm. are kind of talking with skeptics, there's a couple, they talk about the farmer's almanac, all these things. Well, that's <laughs> causal astrology. And that's happening to our bodies and our minds too. And so there is, while it hasn't been confirmed and published yet, there have been studies and there is some like preliminary scientific evidence that the movements of the stars are interacting with our bodies and kind of causing an energetic shift in flow. Like I even notice, I know for myself, like I get swollen ankles on the full moon. I'm like, oh, we're looking a little juicier than normal. Okay, moon. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's causal astrology. And that's also why when you hear like moon reports, you know, like in podcasts and stuff, sometimes will people, people will say like this particular moon, you might really feel it in your body, make sure you're hydrating. All of those things are why in a retrograde, the most important thing is to be dropping down into kind of like allowing the flow. And really, I think the reporting on re retrogrades is not to like, 
you know, get everybody into a new cohort of doing your retrograde assignment, but it's more to make you aware of what's going on so that you can have kind of this like gentle dance with it and being like, oh, interesting, like things are slowing down a little bit. Or for instance, like my knowledge of Mercury being in Taurus really helped me through some times that were, it was actually one of my hardest Mercury retrogrades maybe I've ever had, certainly in a long time. And I remember being like, well, like, Think about your relationship to Taurus. Think about where it is in your chart. Think about how Mercury in Taurus tends to like to proddingly move forward, but slowly. So then slowing it down, but also feeling a little backwards is very frustrating. Yeah. So all of that stuff is coming up and it was coming up in my body. Like I, I couldn't digest as well. I just was really like, don't feel good. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in part, that was that. So I think that even, you know, if you are you know, because I also, I'm a Virgo and I'm neurotic. I like to think of things as a little bit of like do an assignment, tick off a box, make a list. I'm down for that. Yeah. But maybe do it in a way that's sort of like, ah, like this is how I can work with this energy so that I just feel well or am well. Yeah. It can be gentle. It can still be a list and be gentle, you know, or experiential, you know, like it can still, you know, it doesn't always have to be a task. Like I think often like really what we're after is like developing awareness, you know, when is Mercury retrograde? So Venus we're in Venus began July 22nd. I, yeah, and I'm the, not going to get into the shadow period just because I, well, well, I guess we could talk a little bit about that, but like, I'm like, I don't know if that gets too complicated, but so Venus, we're still in Venus is still retrograde. When is Mercury retrograde? Yeah. So Venus will be retrograde until September 3rd. And I will just note that the shadow will be over October 7th, just if anybody wants to pin that. <laughs> <laughs> I With the Venus shadow, I'm almost like, don't worry about it just because Venus kind of doesn't want to be worried about as it is, you know, just want to let us vibe. Yeah. Venus is like, don't worry about it. It's all and, and potentially, you know, ideally with Venus going direct and then having a shot, like hopefully you're cresting towards the goodies at this point. Mm. So something to look forward to. And then Mercury retrogrades. So we're in the shadow right now and it starts on August 23rd. It will station direct on the 15th of September. It'll clear its shadow on September 30th. Oh, wow. So it's coming. I I didn't worry too much about it because I knew we were going to talk about it today, but I didn't, I didn't realize it was like, it is here. It is now. It is upon us. Good to know. Love that I will be traveling during that time. Which, you know, but you've got that natal retrograde. So who knows what's that, what that's going to bring for you? You know what? Honestly, like the best thing about like what I remind people about, you know, like I feel like the youth now gets like very riled up about their Saturn returns. And I'm like, guess what? People have been turning 29 forever and they didn't know right, <laughs> and right. they made it through, you know, I'm like, yeah. there were many years I had, you know, nary a whisper of Mercury retrograde. I didn't know it existed. And so for me, as someone who can have some magical thinking about time, it is good for me from a travel sense. If I'm traveling during Merc- Mercury retrograde that I'm like, okay, girl, like we got to be on it. We need to make like if we have to set an alarm for what time we leave the apartment if we have to you know like Smart, I'm like if, yeah. if I would normally give an hour I'm like we're given two like we are not fucking around here you know like I, I it does make me 
it's less that I think like Mercury is is the enemy, and it's more like let's let me tame the Mercury retrograde within. <laughs> you know, let me. You know, it makes <laughs> me be uh, like it's like let's not. You know, like let's not have you lean into the ways in which you make your your travel more stressful. You know, like tends to be my thing. And I've bought a computer during Mercury retrograde, which, you know, if sometimes in like ladies magazines, they would tell you not to do, but I just, you know, I really read the policy. I really made sure that if I had bought a lemon, I could return it. And, and you know, sure enough, that was true. I was like, I mean, you gotta do it. Sometimes one has, you know, needs a live laptop. What are you going to do? Totally. Well, and that's also, this is what gets so silly and funny with astrology too, because first of all, if something comes up, you know, you're usually kind of meant to endure all that is wrapped up in that experience. But the other thing too, is that like part of a retrograde, especially I think with a mercury retrograde is sort of interrogating and dismantling what exists in your own mind that can Mm. create more problems. So if we buy a computer and say like there is a challenge and I don't want to be misinterpreted to being one of those people like everything bad can be turned into a good. And then there's a no, lesson and yeah. it gets like toxic. But what I more mean is like, I know for myself, in, for instance, like large investments and also like those types of conversations are very hard for me, you know? So yeah, if I bought same. a computer and it broke, that would, it would be likely the way that it is tied to the Mercury retrograde is something around me needing to be like, okay, well, maybe you should have been kind of dealing with those feelings about making that purchase and then also properly articulating all that comes with it. It's a, it's more, we can't really control the thing that happens. It's about the story of what's happening with us in relation to the thing. Yeah. Big time. I would say mine was sort of similar where I just, I don't love change. And I, it's like, I would rather use this laptop that doesn't really work, but I know, and I've had for eight years, than take the risk of loving again. You know, like I, I was like, I know, that I would love to blame Mercury retrograde for this, but I know it's actually a much more like emotional story that like, I don't love change in that regard. You know, like I don't think I am like super cancerian, you know, like in some ways, but like when I am, I'm, I'm like, I get real crabby. Like at the claws, yeah. I'm like, no, my claws are clinging to this computer that has clearly died. <laughs> you know, that I'm like, but I don't want to learn a new one. It feels disloyal. Like it's, it's, but, but exactly. It's this emotional story that comes up versus, you know, feeling cursed by the cosmos or something, you know, should we get into some questions? Yeah. Did you have any more, if you had more, you wanted to say, I don't want to cut you off. No, let's, let's pop into the questions. I think. Okay other if there's anything else I have for I'll pepper in you know I have so many thoughts about all the things so let's hop into a question and then yeah cool yeah so I have a Substack newsletter and I answer questions once a week and a reader sent me a wonderfully rich and thorough series of questions that I answered but I wanted to volley it to Anna because I feel like this is the type of thing that she's actually quite good at And also I wanted to give them a little more love because what they're going through is pretty like powerful. This is a person who has, you know, has been trying, they have a main creative vision. They're a photographer, collage artist. They teach. They also work in service industry and they're just a great person, great eye, great personality and, and really want to funnel all that creativity into something that feels very fulfilling. 
I mean, I'm already obsessed with them because they're a collage artist. So yes, continue. Yeah, they make I'm very these, slutty for I'll, a collage artist. <laughs> but I'm gonna have to link their stuff for you or show you their stuff because you, yeah. you'd be all about it. But they really like took the bulls by the horn and started to solidify their career venture. They're starting a photo studio that's been kind of popping awesome. off and they have this great little like creative community that's blossoming upstate where they moved. And then unexpectedly, totally unplanned, had not wanted children, got pregnant in the summer. Surprise. And they were like, what does this all mean? Like, how is it possible? Is it possible to do both? How is this going to shape my career? How can I manage all of these energies? And so, yeah, just kind of like the basic general cue is like, what is up with that? Like she, you know, and I mean, I think it's, we all know that creative energy is that creative energy. That's fifth house. It's, it's baby's arts. It's happiness. It's like yeah. all of those things are kind of energetically similar. So I'm not surprised that once they really started to step into their power in the career, the baby also was like, and also me. I, I know. I'm not surprised either at all. I, unfortunately, I mean, like it comes up in reading sometimes and you know, I may pull a card. I'm not, I'm, I might not may, I will in, in a second, I'll pull a card about this, but like my first initial vibe when you were talking about this is I'm like, it's such Empress vibes. It's such like this comes up all the time in readings with clients when they are like really going, you know, buck wild with their creative pursuits or like they've made a big move of like, you know, I'm taking a leave of absence and I'm working on this next series of paintings or something like when people have really put some sort of flag in the sand of like, I'm claiming this creative life for myself. Almost always cards come up around pregnancy. And I think it's because like, it is one in the same, you know, like you are, you are incubating things, you are growing things, and then you are releasing them into the world, you know, like in it, it all kind of comes from the same place. And often when we're tapping into our creativity, we are tapping into our sexuality as well. We're, we're tapping into the energies around like of life force and, and, and creation and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, like it's not surprising to me. It doesn't sound like there's a question about whether or not to keep this baby. And I think like this baby, this soul, this thing, this was supposed to happen to you. I th and, and while you maybe don't know how it's supposed to, like, I think it's very valid to be like, I just moved to this new place. I just made this big career move. I just got pregnant. Like, what the fuck? Like, if you, if you feel like you woke up and, and like, or like you went to bed and you woke up in the wrong life, I, I think that that is fair. Like, I want to hold space that you might feel out of your mind right now. <laughs> I mean, between like hormones and a lot of change and a lot of things. But to me, my intuitive thing off the bat is like, you're really stepping into the life that you're supposed to have. And just because you maybe don't know how it's all going to work right now, doesn't mean that it isn't going to. And I wouldn't be surprised that like when the baby gets here, like you meet someone who ends up being the most incredible nanny or like you meet a group of moms that also are artists or something like, I think the more you follow 
you know, the little breadcrumbs of like what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to be, like those things will open up. Like, but I mean, if I was pregnant and kind of like, all right, you know, like clock's ticking, this comes to a head at some point. I just want to hold space for the fear and the anxiety of the unknown and the unknown when you're now on the line for another life, you know, like I want to hold space for that. But I think in a very big cosmic way, like, I think your life is about to get really beautiful and full, you know, and in a way that, you know, I think most of us, it's like when the sun comes up, the sun isn't just like, oh, good times, like, yay, everything's great. It's inviting us to imagine a life even better than we can imagine. And I think that that's, I think this baby was to show you to think bigger, to dream bigger, to ask for more, you know, it's just doing it in a in the way from a little tiny being that's going to come and ask for snacks, you know, but I think like when you're not maybe in the, in the mom zone, if you can try to remember the magic, but I think like, I don't know, like, I don't like when the the topic of pregnancy or children come up and people are just like, Oh my God, children are magical and a gift. And blah, 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 blah. Cause I don't think it always feels that way. I think a lot of times women do have a deep, very valid fear of loss of self and loss of their, and especially, I mean, this is something I come back to time and time again about creative women artists. Is it possible to be an artist and be a woman, be a wife, be a mother, all these things it, we've seen women struggle with this since the beginning of time. It's hard. We don't live in a society that makes it super easy or possible, but it isn't impossible. I think it'll just be you deciding like your North star is honoring maybe your creativity and then everything falls into place. And I think this baby is going to help you see like make play a big part of your life is going to make like all these things that I think will make your art better and will make your photography better and will expand your circle. This baby is just going to automatically put you in the place of. So that's why it's like all of this is interconnected. And I think serving to really solidify to you, like you're an artist, like don't hide from it. Like that's what you are. So that's what your life has to be in service of. Out of curiosity, I'm just going to pull a little card. What does the tarot say? That is terrifying. It's a six of discs, which is uh, pentacles in a traditional deck. I'm using my mother piece deck with the right tail. I'll show Vanessa. And it's a lot about, I would say it's a lot about prosperity, to be honest. It's a lot about, it's prosperity, it's generosity, it's needs being met. And it's you needing to meet your needs and have your needs met so fully and completely that you can give so freely of yourself. So I think now's a good time before Bebe arrives on the scene, I think for you to get really clear on what fills up your cup and how you can stay connected to that so that once the baby's here, like you really trust and know for you to be your best self and be your best person and then be your best mother. Like these things have, you know, like they're still important. They don't fall by the wayside that if you're going to, being a mother, you're going to have to give a hundred percent of yourself in order to do that. You're going to have to be at 200%. And because you're an artist, you might have to be at 300%. What would that look like for you? Like you're someone whose output is really high and not everybody's is, which is fine. So it's like, you're, it's really important. You're connected to your energy. And I think also hold space for like, I, I'm someone who's also 
creative. Everyone's like, yeah, we fucking know you talk about it every episode. But just as a reminder, I'm creative. And it's tough sometimes when I'm zonked, but I want to make stuff. When the will is there, but the energy is not. And I think it's like, that like it's like you're coming into this new chapter of surfing waves you've been surfing already like if you are an artist but you're also doing service industry work like yeah like after eating shit in new york i'm sure you really wanted to then go make some art like no like this is going to be a new version of that of like it doesn't mean you're any less of an artist it doesn't mean you're you know not going to get to do the work you want to do or those sort of things i think it's being kind to yourself of like we can't always do all the things that was so awesome (laughs) well first of all I know their chart and I know what I said and it's always so trippy to see to have you like tune in and out of what's going in their chart because this was like such a it was like a non-astrology astrology reading so spot on (laughs) but then there were just so many things you said there that gave me chills and I I just I like totally got on another level with that (laughs) I appreciate it's funny because like, you know, Vanessa and I can see her see each other when we're recording. And I felt like I got to see baby Vanessa. You were just like listening to me with such rapt attention. It's like, what a gift to have someone just look at you like, so like, you know, give you their attention that fully. And I was like, that's nice in this, you know, day and age of everyone's attention being pulled in other directions. But I just, you know, like, it's like, shout out to I mean, I guess anyone trying to figure out how to be and do all the things, you know, like my my heart's always with you. Like when people are really trying to figure out like how to be who who they are and want to be against all odds, kind of, you know, whether that's capitalism or pregnancy or whatever, you know, like you're fighting the good fight, you know, like it's the kind of the only one that matters in my opinion in life of like trying to figure out and be like who you're supposed to be, you know? And it's, I just want to be like, I think this is going to end up being wonderful for you. But I also just want to say like, respect, you're doing the hard thing. You're doing the scary thing. Like, and you're doing a lot of them at once. So like so much, so much love with you right now. So much respect to you right now as, as you navigate this journey. So many. Okay. So our next question a friend of mine uh, broke up with someone, I want to say six, seven months ago. And they keep sort of, the, the, the ex keeps kind of swinging around. The ex is also like kind of contacting friends and stuff. So I asked her permission to ask you kind of like, wh- what up with that? What do you think about that? And we got her birth details, but why does this ex keep circling around contacting friends? And then she happened to like really make me very this is like what's funny I think about you and I working together is that like this point I don't pay a ton of attention to astrology but it's like as much as I used to but it's it's like strangely baked into my life that I love this person that I was like intuitively I'm like I'm gonna ask her if we can do this question you know like if we can if I can like give her info to Vanessa and we can find this out and then she goes yeah Natalie I have Venus and Leo and I'm like, how perfect. So you took a look at her chart and I'm curious to hear like, why do you think this X keeps circling around? What is going on? What is the story here? Totally. All right. So yeah. So first of all, just talking about this person's Venus and Leo. So this person has Venus retrograde in their chart. 
So this is something we're kind of talking about when it comes to the condition of the planet in a sign and in retrograde. Venus retrograde is an interesting time because Venus is more about receptivity, allowing things to slow and settle. And oftentimes in that slowing and settling, this is where the art is created. This is where the pleasure comes, that sort of thing. So having Venus retrograde natally in your chart, especially Venus in Leo retrograde, there's definitely a desire, a real desire for a lion heart like love and a, and a bit of an insecurity normally about how either how bad you want that or how to deliver that or how to receive that. There's stuff around not being able to properly express that Venus in Leo. Mm. So this Venus retrograde in Leo, it's really nice because it's offering this person who has been on a journey since 2015, because this retrograde is capping for all of us this, this Venus journey. There has been for that handful of years, a real working around that. And what's mm. interesting about this person's chart as well is they have Chiron in Leo as well just hopping back and forth between charts. They have Chiron and Leo. Their 12th house is ruled by Taurus, which is ruled by Venus. And we just had eclipses going through in that axis, the 12th and 6th. They also have a Pluto moon conjunction in Scorpio. And they have a ton of 8th house planets. They also have Mars ruled by Venus in a Venus ruled sign and Libra in the 5th house. And going back to, there's a lot of different things, so I'm not going to cover, I'm not going to be able to cover what, what all of that really means. But this overall vibe is this person has been going through a period of time of really like rehabilitating their relationship first to how they experience the expression of love, self-love, and their ideas around deserving love through, because we're talking about their third house is where Venus and Chiron are, through their ability to connect and communicate. So what I think is really interesting about this ex circling around is that he's also like getting in touch with friends and he's just kind of, this is a, it's a very like communicative. I wouldn't be surprised if during the Mercury mm. retrograde, like this type of thing perhaps ramps up, or maybe that's even when he reaches out more directly or the conversation may happen. But ultimately this person, unless this ex is wonderful and for some reason it hasn't been working because of like some other logistics, I would really urge this person to do some work this summer around like knowing you deserve even more. And I wouldn't be surprised if this person kind of had like a mental connection with our client, like the ex maybe like really validated their intellect or their sense of humor mm. or even just like their ideas about themselves or about love. There, there seems to be, like, based on the synthesis and the, the song that their natal chart plays, looks to me right now they're in a stage of development where, like, finding someone who gets them is the first step on the long journey of finding the total, what could be a total package or, you know, no one is perfect, right? But a better, a relationship that matches their higher self. They're also in an eighth house perfection year, and they're going to be wrapping that up on their birthday in September, and then they will enter a ninth house year, but both are answering to Saturn. And having an eighth house year is really also about taking seriously your relationship to eighth house subjects. In particular, in this person's case, this also 
Their eighth house is ruled by Capricorn. We have the North Node there. There's something here about really being like, I am deserving of the type of commitment that will Mm. endure like my darkest of days and my most transformative of sexual experience. This is not fuckboy summer anymore. No. This person is done. This person is no longer in their fuckboy era. And if they backslide, it will not, we don't want that for them. They are, they're, they're entering a new zone of like potential power where they could pull in somebody who can really hold them down. And we can't let this little weasel goober around and like DM (laughs) their friends while they're onto bigger and better stuff. No. And this person's handling that shit like a champ, I have to say. Like, is really to have gotten their heart sort of. Uh, not sort of completely obliterated is like holding it down and then showing up for herself in a big, big way of, of navigating that, you know, this breakup that was like, you know, was very sudden and, you know, all of that sort of stuff and very devastating has really picked herself back up. And, and it, it was crazy hearing what you're saying. Cause this is, you know, a dear friend of mine that like, I do know, the details and stuff. And I would say like so much of what you were saying, like she, she is doing and has been sort of like taking stock of and going like, wait a second, you know, and that sort of stuff. I did, you know, I deserve better. I deserve more. I deserve someone who accepts and shows up for me, like in my fullness, you know, of, of fullness of being a person. Gorgeous. Very, very on the nose. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um. Then is that? I think that's a good yeah. place to land it. Otherwise, we'll be here yeah. another couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I meant to ask you. I forgot that we had someone else submit their their chart and ask what's on for them this RX and how they should approach it. Maybe it would have been better at the beginning, but I just thought of our our general. Yeah. How does retrograde affect us? I'll pop in on that. I actually have their chart pulled up, and actually, when I was looking at their chart. What I what I wanted to quickly do, because I think this would be helpful for everyone kind of tuning in to how the retrograde is affecting them, whether they have their chart or not, and just in general. But I was thinking about the Sabian symbols. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think are so fun. And the significant Sabian symbol, like mythology, the journey of these symbols is really funny for this retrograde. I think it's very <laughs> illustrative. So the Sabian symbols are these channeled sort of these channeled visions for every day of every solar season and they're almost in a way they're kind of like tarot or like an oracle in in kind of a way more like an oracle card and they correspond to every degree of the zodiac and so if you're looking for a little extra insight on something that you're working through it's fun to check in on those i like to look at them for like the planets in my chart and i'm just like oh yeah like that's how that's supposed to vibe out (laughs) do they change every year like i i I know i know about the sabian symbol symbols i know what they are but i don't i mean and i don't want to take us down this rabbit hole but i'm just more curious like it's not a a fixed system is it they are fixed they are fixed okay yeah. So it's been like predestined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like your sun, moon and rising Sabian symbols would be like your big three symbols. Okay. 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 So for that, Venus stationed on a mermaid has climbed to the rocky shore of a bleak coast. She awaits <laughs> the prince who will bring blank, fill in the blank. 
I loved that one because that's usually they're completed, but that was like, you know, we're waiting. What are we going to get brought? And so what I'm trying to like communicate to people is like, this is where we were when Venus stationed. So we are, you know, we felt this expression of 28 Leo Venus and we're kind of ready. We're like, okay, let's go Venus and Leo. And then we went backwards and so the Kazemi on Sunday, so this will drop after this happened, but this will be a significant moment. So August 13th, you'll be thinking about, we go from that mermaid wondering what's coming backwards to 20, intoxicated chickens dizzily flapping their wings trying to fly. So I loved that for the Venus retrograde because honestly, that was something that came up for me. For me, it was mostly physical burnout, but I was like, wow, I've been so like jonesing on like how to activate this Venus. My Venus is in Leo that I almost think I was like doing a little too much. And I just like, I definitely feel just a little fried in general. We had a heat wave in New York and I just, I'm starting to feel like, okay, I'm halfway through this like significant retrograde and I turn 40 in September and Mercury's retrograde. What's it all mean? I definitely have like found myself going into this like chicken frenzy. And then on the new moon, on the 16th of August, which is when this drops, the Sabian symbol is totally concentrated upon spiritual attainment. A yogi is sitting. So this new moon for Mm. a ritual, for grounding down into this retrograde journey, it's a lovely day, the 16th, to sit in that and observe what was my journey from like being this sort of like maiden-like, mermaid-like figure looking into this unknown abyss at the top of the retrograde, going back and maybe things got a bit off track. Maybe you got a little maladaptive about validation or like the other sort of the underside of like Venusian stuff. And now take time on this fresh new moon, this dark moon to sit in that spiritual zone and say like, what is my highest self, my spiritual self, my evolved Venus and Leo wanting, or what am I wanting to create in my life from that space And then finally, we station at an old sea captain rocking on the porch (laughs) of his cottage. And so we've gone from mermaid to, to, you know, briny sea captain (laughs) in our own Venus journey. And now we have this wisdom of this salty, I think of like the guys in Jaws or something, you know. Yes. And we're sort of observing as Venus is stationed and we're like, wow, but what? must be remembered too, is that we will now go forward through all of these symbolic moments. So we will now go from the old seaman through those two journeys, through the yogi sitting, through the frantic chicken, and we will again pass through the mermaid. And ideally, what's so magical about that particular one being left blank is like ideally on your way out, we can sub the prince for anything you want doesn't have to be a prince bringing you something, but it's, you know, you you see what is being brought, that ship coming in, whatever that is. So ultimately, this is the journey of like wondering what's going to come in, seeing that through your own personal process and grounding down, you then gain wisdom and experience. And then you move back through that. And you're that mermaid who comes up and it's like, okay, that's what's coming in. That's my ship coming. And so for all of us, that's a great place to just be like, I think, bookending the whole summer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then in this person's chart, you know, their their Venus retrograde is going through their sixth house. It is making trines to their Saturn and their moon 
in Aries, um, where the North Node just entered. So this is definitely about considering... You know, at first glance, the second house is the house of money and value and also the talents and skills we bring to earn return, as well as our self-esteem and our perceived value. And the sixth house is the house of your daily habits, your work routines, your mental health, the way where you put your energy ultimately like fills your tank and how that is expressed and expressed best. So this person having having this Venus retrograde going through the sixth and activating their second house, we're really looking at like, where are there some issues or where might these Sabian symbols even resonate for you around like, what are you doing every day? What are you doing for work? This person looks, I'm seeing their general chart. They look like very creative. They look passionate. Is that, is all of that fire being used? Because if it's not, you're likely experiencing inflammation in some way, whether it's irritation interpersonally or even physically, this can show up like just, this is something, this is someone who has like a ton of Sag in their 10th house. So this is the Venus retrograde is kind of showing you like if you're in a situation where you aren't being respected or treasured, you don't feel self-expressed. The biggest thing that I I would want to tell this person is that this really is just about thinking about like, what do you want to do for work? This is someone who also looks like they need some creative freedom. So they might be advocating for that. They have Saturn going through their first house. So this is a refinement of how they're showing up. There's a lot here. It looks like a turning point around like how they spend the bulk of their life and the work that they do. I love that. We got two other questions that I did want to touch on, but they I feel like there may be like bigger than our time allows today. But I just wanted to say they were great questions in the sense of we got a goal you didn't achieve, a humbling moment, one that really shattered your ego. I would say that there were lots of those moments for me in my television career most of my 20s, <laughs> I would say, and things like that. But I, I would say that the, the, the biggest times that my ego got shattered was I think when I had big, big, big expectations for something or really thought achieving something was going to like make everything fall into place. I would say if I, I was like thinking about my answer to this question and I was like, Oh, it's kind of funny what all these sort like all my like kind of examples I thought of, like all of them, what they have in common is I had this big idea. Like the biggest one I thought of is just like, I had this goal to like be an executive producer before I turned 30, which is like not a thing. It's not an age related thing, but I was like, I will do this, you know? And I, I did, I sort of made a deal with the devil in a way. And then <laughs> these guys who were like crazy misogynistic we're like all sitting at this table and they're like hey like we wanted to introduce you to this dude who's now our new executive producer and I was like but I'm the executive producer and the way they handled it was terrible and they were like we just don't think you're an executive producer and like really the only thing I could distill as to why I didn't fit their idea of what an executive producer was is that I wasn't a man so but it was like their their total lack of regard for me was really crushing to my ego. Like it being like, 
like to not even have the courtesy to say we've hired someone when I'm allegedly the person in charge of that, you know, was just like it. But it was a good moment for me to realize, like, in some ways I had been sort of like playing make believe, you know, and my own ego had created a lot of like what was ultimately upsetting as well. Yeah, I've had plenty of moments that have thoroughly humbled me or really crushed my ego. And I, I don't know. I think you, I think sometimes when that stuff's happening, like I would wonder, you know, if the person who asked was really genuinely curious or if they're going through one of those moments. And I would just say like, there are worse things that can happen to us than our ego getting dealt a blow, you know? And I think it can be helpful when we're in that energy to just be like, my ego's bruised. Did this feels, you know, it's like when you get laid off, like it's not your fault, but that doesn't mean it sucks any less. It doesn't make it feel any better. And I just think that's this, this is the same sort of thing to me. Like if you're, if you're in a place where your ego has been affected or taken a knock, you know, be nice to yourself. Like, I don't think it's generally the end of the world, but it doesn't mean it has to feel good or you have to like it or, you know, try to bright spot it for yourself. Yeah. I thought that was such a good question actually for Venus retrograde and Leo too, because, you know, Venus is associated with so much like aesthetically Mm. obvious things, but Venus and Leo, especially going retrograde, especially now with Mercury retrograde, it actually is quite possible that people are experiencing this on a collective level where there's this like rejection coming up, rejection stuff, needing validation could be coming up. You know, Mercury, I've been thinking a lot about how the Mercury retrograde, you know, it will probably be uncomfortable for most of us because we're already vulnerable with Venus retrograde. And then Mercury retrograde is going to come through and it's going to be just like clunkily and awkwardly and weirdly pointing out even more flaws where we're to the point where it's like, I get it. I'm the worst. (laughs) I'll quit life, you know? And and when I was thinking, like yeah (laughs) well and when I was kind of thinking about what I might share too like I had this real realization so I really appreciate this question because what I realized in general is that I always prized myself as being someone who was resilient in rejection like especially when I was an actor Mm -hmm. and I almost thought that I was like spiritually bypassing it in a way when I was younger like I would be like oh yeah but I'm just like if it's not me it's someone else and blah 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 yeah but not and not only did that not really serve me because I wasn't being honest about the things I wanted and I had it's so buried inside of me that I didn't even know a lot of the time but I had this one experience that was so painful but I wasn't even able to admit it was painful and integrate it. So it followed me for like 15 years and it impacted me like so deeply. And it was, you know, I don't want to talk everyone's ear off about it, but it was just, (laughs) it was really funny because, you know, I had, I had only been acting professionally for a little while and I was doing really well. I was hitting all the notes very quickly and people were really reflecting to me like, you're doing the right thing. It's going to work. Everything's cool. And so I had taken that really for granted. And then I had this big meeting with this big managers out from L.A. and and it was from an opportunity that this person normally doesn't recommend talent to them. And so I was like putting a lot of stock in that moment, but I was, I wasn't putting stock in it because it would make my career even I was putting stock in it because I was seeing it as another like video game level where I, I had to win to prove something to my inner child, to prove something to, 
you know, all of those wounds that I was like refusing to see and and just doing my little Vanessa's so zen and chill. <laughs> and I went into that meeting and it was supposed to be a sure win. And this person read me down like I have never been treated in my life. And it was a woman, too. I just think that that's good insight. It wasn't a, it wasn't like a me too situation. It was even more insid- it was very insidious and just messed me up. But I was so like righteous about the experience because she was so she was in particular, it was very superficial about like my look and my type and that sort of thing. So I walked away from it again on my like spiritual high horse of being like, but I'm not that type anyway. So of course she wouldn't like me. But, but really, it was like a pivotal point in my career that really set me on this journey of quitting, which was meant to be ultimately, and I'm where I'm supposed to now, but the, but it would be interesting to see had I not been projecting so much of my unhealed wounds under that situation. And I had that experience and I was able to say like, ouch, she said some stuff to me that really hurt. And then I kind of kept it moving. Who knows where I would have been? So yeah, I, it was a really like, it was interesting to reflect because I wanted to share something too, that wasn't like brutal, like child and yeah. family trauma or something. Yeah, to- same. <laughs> I'm, like, drop those bombs. I'm like, anytime I'm with my family, you know, <laughs> I mean, like not really, but kind of, but yeah, yeah, I agree. I also, uh, you bring up a really good point that I think that I've started to get better about as I get older, but I think that because the ego gets discussed now and people are like, oh, ego death and all this stuff, we want to have an ego, the idea is that we have a healthy ego and we have an ego imbalance. And what I really enjoy about what you shared and what I think is so important is like when our ego is hurt or bruised, it's, it is important that we acknowledge that. And I think that now we've gotten to a point where like, that can feel so uncomfortable or it can feel like you're not high vibe enough or, you know, you're supposed to be like, Oh, I just got this brutal rejection, but that's okay. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I I agree. I think like sometimes when we look back at those moments, we are like, if I had just admitted that sucked or that hurt or like what would have played out differently, you know, like, yeah. Cause you never know. You maybe could have gotten support. I mean, maybe it just, the experience wouldn't have been as painful. It doesn't mean necessarily that there would have been this like, terribly different outcome you know I do think we sort of end up wherever we're supposed to be in that regard but it's like maybe it didn't have to be as painful like maybe it did you know like sometimes it's just like maybe it could have felt better you know like it did not necessarily like they came running out and said I was wrong you know like it, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the movie moment sometimes it's just literally like oh it's not as as excruciatingly painful as it maybe you know it maybe was less of that but the last thing we got was a big one. And honestly, I should probably, it, it, it's been on my list to do an episode dedicated to the topic. But our last thing was addiction. And r- really, all I want to say about addiction is that I very much come from a standpoint of normalization, not stigmatization. I think that addiction is when we are in pain and trying to self-regulate a line I love about addiction is like addiction is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. So I think with addiction, it's really important to get help, whatever, 
resonates for you, therapy, AA. I know AA can be problematic. However, they do some good work and it can be an entry point. If you're dealing with addicts, I think Al-Anon, I think getting your own support and help in terms of, you know, how, you know, because addiction's often uh, a web and it, it affects, you know, it affects everybody sort of in kind of involved, you know, so if it's someone in your family or, or maybe it's you or whatever, it, everybody is in, is involved in it. And I think it's really easy for the addict to get identified and sort of treated as like the bad one. And I, and, and I want to say like, I think that's a really oversimplified version of looking at it. But the biggest thing is I believe in harm reduction. I believe in normalization and I also just think it's really, really important. Sorry that now my, first my dog was creating chaos. Now my door buzzer's going off. It's just a really active episode, but I think it's really, it sucks to me. We do not have more resources in terms of addiction. It's something that has touched my life in many aspects and addicts aren't bad people. They're just ones that are using something in order to cope with how they feel in life. And ideally, I hope we build larger and more supportive frameworks in our societies that allow people to get support and help with whatever they want to do. I also wanted to say I think everyone should get trained in Narcan. Regardless of whether or not you think people in your life are doing opioids, if anybody in your life is doing drugs, fentanyl is in everything. So be really, really, really careful. If you do drugs, please test them. You know, most harm reduction centers, you can get test strips. I know so many people getting affected by accidental overdose and things like that just because fentanyl is, is on these streets. And so test your drugs. I really believe in that. And I believe in Narcan, I've been like, I got trained in Narcan and I've been able to, you know, use it twice on the streets, you know, and things like that. I think it's really important. And I'm a big believer in harm reduction. Oh, medically supported detoxes and things like that as well. That I think if you, you know, I know some people are exploring doing different drugs to encourage them to like quit drinking and things like that. Like I know Ozempic, which, you know, has blown up as being used off label for weight loss. It's also being used in some cases for addiction. If you want to change your relationship with an addiction, throw the fucking kitchen sink at it if you can. And in a way that feels good to you to see what works, you know, and then uh, hopefully at some point I'll do a larger episode. I don't know if you wanted to say anything about addiction, but well, I hope you. Yeah, I hope you do an episode soon. I mean, I have so much to say that I <laughs> fear that it, I'll go too off the rails. But everything that you said, I'm. I back up 100%. I have done a lot of work in harm reduction clinics as a Reiki practitioner. And I actually, in the last episode, and maybe I'll do a little repost since we're mentioning it, Yeah. but posted the documentary about the New York Harm Reduction Center and the acupuncture detox. And not only is that historically really interesting, but as a volunteer, all of the people that I have worked with with or worked on, I would say minimum of 50%, and these are mostly still active users or people who are managing their addiction, are also incredibly, not only naturally spiritually tuned, intuitive, sensitive, charming, charismatic, every good quality, but also like 
actually committed to spiritual paths. We have people who practice, you know, Qigong and meditation Mm. and have shared every session I've come away, like having had a conversation about spirituality in particular that helps me learn. And I, I think that's just kind of important maybe to point out when we're talking about like that harm reduction, like facilities and detox facilities is that they might overwhelm people because it's a very specific, while you were talking, I was just thinking about how there is such a divide between the facilities that provide care and then sort of the outside world. And, and that it's like, there's less of a gap between you and the people inside those places than you think, whether you're using or not also. And that's worth kind of keeping in mind. And then also just on a personal level too, because the thing is, is like, there's, I mean, I really do have so much to say and I don't want to talk too much, but I have a ton of addiction in my family and I really grew up like making friends with addiction in a lot of ways, even as a kid and just kind of like being like, Oh, like, you know, grandpa uses or whatever it is. And I don't want to air out my family against without them knowing. So I'm not, I don't want to deep dive too much here. Same. I was but like, let's was, skirt around that. I am very familiar with said topic. Yeah. You know, but, and then myself, I mean, it just, I'm from the tri-state. I mean, I'm from like basically what is considered like suburban New York city in Connecticut. So we grow up, especially in the nineties, it was like, yeah, drugs were everywhere. And and have done many in my day, although it's been a very long time since. <laughs> and I went through periods myself of being like, am I a full on addict or am, do I need help? And I just really got so, so lucky that through my own spiritual journey, things started to fall away. And I wouldn't, and, the, and I'm not saying that that's like an option for someone who is struggling with like real like addiction that they need care for. But also what I learned from that is just like the connection I was seeking through using was never going to come. And it started to come when I connected with myself. And I like to think about like one, I, I want to say it's like Yogananda said this or something, but there's some like classic yoga story about like in the seventies when he was out in California and someone who was using, you know, there were so many people in the seventies who were like using heroin and stuff like that. And lots of drinking and pills and in like the Hollywood area where the, the ashram was. And someone was like, well, how am I going to like get on this path if I'm always like using heroin and sleeping with people and, you know, have a sex addiction and all this stuff. And he was just like, just keep coming, just show up, whether you're using or not show up to the ashram and at least try and kind of watch those things fall away. And that was, I mean, there were moments where I was partying and, and I, you know, I was cocktail waitress, bottle waitress. I started bartending in high school. I was like very scared for myself at times, but I would try to just keep in mind, like, I've just got to like try to get through and somewhere along the line, something worked. So if you're just in that area, that's not necessarily needing like a detox or a facility, but you're just someone who can kind of like fall into too much drinking or too much drugs in periods, there were definitely times where I thought that it was like never going to happen. Like I was like, I will never be able to say no to a drink. I will never feel comfortable with people. And now I pretty much don't drink. I mean, I do if I want to, but I was really yeah. lucky that some somewhere along with all of the other stuff I was doing for myself, things just started to gently fall away in that way that Yogananda talks about. So it's just something to offer. And also, you know, I think it's always good to hear other people who have gone through what you might be experiencing. Yeah. And 
there is this ebb and flow. One of my Reiki teachers who I volunteer with at the harm reduction center is a former addict and who spent time like incarcerated and all of this. And, and he's like one of the most amazing like healers and chillest dudes. Yeah. I, I know. So it's been, that's kind of just my general vibe with it is like addiction is sadly very ubiquitous and it's largely because of feelings of separation and not being seen. And if we can kind of just, cultivate that in our daily lives for each other, if not for ourselves, and maybe create on this collective level, a a culture of more care, perhaps it will become less stark, or at least it becomes manageable. Yeah, I think it's really important to Vanessa's point as well is like, if you think you have a problem, you probably do. And it means like you have one for you. If you're uncomfortable with, you know, your consumption, I think trust that and seek out support, you know, however that feels accessible and good to you. Like maybe it's just going to therapy and going, I've noticed I'm, you know, like I'm smoking a ton of pot. Like, does that mean necessarily that you're an addict? Who knows? But you, if you feel like you're trying to escape from your life, I would trust that Intel, you know, like, I think addiction can feel really overwhelming. It's definitely something that's, you know, as they say, one day at a time, you know, like I think start small of just sort of speaking your truth of I'm uncomfortable with the way I'm engaging with this thing, you know, and I want to engage with it differently. When it comes to other people, if you're worried about other people's stuff, that means you need to get really clear about your stuff and get really clear about your boundaries. You cannot save anybody and you have to get really clear about what the boundaries are. And it may be a, a difficult conversation of saying, listen, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a, an addiction expert. I don't know if you're an alcoholic or something, but I do know when we spend time together and you're drinking, like I get uncomfortable. Like you may have to have a difficult conversation and own your experience. And anytime we want to make somebody else the problem, that has to be our first clue that it's maybe us who is the problem, you know, and you may need to change boundaries or you may need to say like, I love you. I'm your friend forever, but I can't be around you when you're using or what, like some of that stuff may have to happen. But I mean, I hear a lot of unqualified people trying to stage interventions and shit. And I just really don't know that that is the way. Well, it can get, it can get violent if your boundaries aren't clear too. It can get very like, are we talking about this person's addiction? Are we talking about how you have a need that you want them to meet and they can't cause they're sick? Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, or struggling. Yeah. It's really, yes, it is all really complicated. You have to get clear about your own agenda. I th- you're, if somebody is struggling with, a, with addiction and you're concerned about it, I, I think that's fair and a noble thing, but I think know that you're not an addiction expert. So you should tread lightly and you yeah. should get first, get really clear about yourself because I, I do think, especially in our society when like addiction is so moralized and th- these things that it's, it could be really easy to be like, I've been out with this friend now and every time they get super drunk, like I've got to save them or whatever. That's about you. That is not about them, you know? Right. And I've learned as I've gotten older, if I'm concerned about somebody, I just sort of go like, Hey friend, you know, it's just sort of noticed. And I, I, I talk to them about it first. And sometimes they're like, yeah, it is kind of escalating. I don't know what's, you know, like at least it's a conversation and I'm respecting their 
autonomy. You know, I'm not thinking I know better. For another group of person, there's a podcast I listen to called The Vanished that is often about people who have disappeared. And sometimes you they know what has happened to said people and sometimes they're still missing. A lot of the people featured on this podcast are high-risk individuals in the sense that they do sex work or they're drug users or stuff like that. The fact that this host of this podcast has to keep reminding people that addicts are people too is so mind-boggling to me, but that's just something I want to be clear about as well. Like anyone who thinks anyone who is actively in addiction sort of like, you know, if they, they could quit if they wanted to or, you know, like their garbage of society, any of that type of shit, fuck off. Go yeah. go ask yourself why you think why you disregard people, you know, human lives. You you need to go focus on yourself and not worry about anybody who is an addict. I just those that just really melts my brain. The idea you think people should have a loved one out there like missing or something that they they all deserve it because that person's an addict like is insane to me. So if you're really judgmental to people who are addicts or if you're really judgmental about addiction, I would really, really, really invite you to examine what is it about clinging to that that serves you? Why do you think you're better than someone not you know, addicted to stuff like, or why do you think you're better than someone addicted to stuff? Like, 100%. what is it? And you probably are. You just don't know. Just not, not drugs or alcohol. You know, you might be compulsively, you, you might be housing that same thing in something in something else. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the other thing too, when, when we're kind of talking about judgment, it's like, and it almost see, I feel like it sounds almost like, too easy or, or like it's been used to be like, everybody's addicted to something, but it's, it's in a way like, it's actually pretty true. I think, I think that we live, we are so far removed from having our needs met by capitalism, by white supremacy, by patriarchy, that somewhere in there, unless you're really doing the work somewhere in there, you are being compulsive or manipulative or controlling. And ultimately like that's the root of addiction. Like, have you ever canceled plans just to watch Netflix all night? Guess what? You were engaging in escapism, which is a tenet of addiction. So, like, before you're getting on your high horse, (laughs) you know, exactly. Check your history. Like, most of us indulge in, in something to cope with life in a way that probably isn't the healthiest, you know? But I think, too, it's like something that could, that's worth thinking about is the the more intense the coping mechanism, the more likely probability that there's a deeper, bigger T trauma behind that. So we want to, if we are going to make like armchair assumptions about people, maybe turn your light towards that first and be like, I wonder like to have compassion. And I don't want to sound also like, obviously because I have so much addiction in my family, I'm still working through codependency and making excuses and all of those things that you work through in Al-Anon and everything. But there is, it's also important to really think about, especially with addiction, like there is social context, there's trauma there. There's so much there to consider that the first stop on your judgment train should not be like, Oh, look at that lesser person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a way that the brain is trying to keep someone safe and usually to deal with trauma. Not to say every addict is traumatized, but they tend to, 
you know, they tend to go pretty hand in hand. And I agree, like most addicts, I don't think feel that, that they really, I don't think they would say they really chose that life. It's just how they're doing the best they can to cope with life. And yeah, we could always, I think all of us could, could double down on our compassion there. Most of us have something in our history that we'd like to run from. <laughs> like, right. I don't understand how you could judge people who are doing that. Like you, you don't have something you want to piece out from, like, give me a break. So yeah, at some point I've, I've been trying to think about for, for doing an episode on addiction, I've been trying to think about who I want to be in conversation with about it, but know everyone that it is on my list. It is something I would like to do a deeper dive and have a larger conversation about, but it's because it's something I do feel really strongly about. And it's something my life has been really affected by. Well, I think we've come to the end of today's I journey through the cosmos, through the questions, <laughs> Do you have anything you want to add or anything we didn't touch on today? Yeah, well, I wanted to mention this quote by Caroline Casey that I was thinking about when we were mm. thinking about um, retrogrades in general. And I have it on my phone, so I just want to pull it up. But this is from Visionary Activist Astrology by Caroline Casey. She's amazing. Highly recommend you look her up. So many good lectures on YouTube. You can start there. But she <laughs> says, I view astrology as a primary language of liberation, a tool for inner access, not essential. A great colleague of mine once said, it's important to remind people that we don't need astrology, and we don't, but it is a wonderful and exquisite, beautiful language that feeds our intuition. Mm. And I just love that so much. And I think that it's also, found, it's a good foundation. It's foundational. You know, it, it, there are definitely astrological, there are types of astrology, like financial or medical or something like that, that has to do more with specificity. But overall, and especially when it comes to retrogrades or tuning into the general vibe, I just think it's really important to remember to, to remember this in general, and also know that even the masters of the craft are like, this is not judge, jury and executioner you are for your life. Yeah. I love that. And here, here to anything that feeds our intuition. I'm like, maybe I don't need, you know, I don't know. I'm like, maybe I don't need to know all the answers. Maybe I, it's always just trusting that you have them inside. And that seems to be coming up lately once again. So I'm also just sort of laughing because like this quote was, was very, it was very much something I needed to hear as well today. So oh, good. always, a treat how that all lines up, you know? Well, thank you as always for joining me today. You're always you. a gracious guest and, and it's always fun. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to everybody. Some of you were hilarious and some of your questions were very funny and things like that, but I'm, we had to find stuff that we also felt would like, you know, be kind of universal and appeal. So don't, don't get your feelings hurt. If you weren't included today, we loved each and every one of y'all who responded. So thank you. Thank you. Reminder, you probably won't hear from me the rest of August, but I will be back with a fresh season in September, I will keep everyone posted on what that release date is going to be. I think it's going to be after the equinox because, you know, once a witch, always a witch. But more to come on that. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bye. guys.
That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help. <laughs>